How many of y'all thought that was going to be another Tide ad? I was, we were doing run through and I was locked in on somehow that was going to be another Tide ad because that was incredible. I'd never seen those Tide ones before. Anybody else seen those ones? Oh my gosh, that was something else. So um, I love that. And, you know, we're going to be looking for those Super Bowl commercials that stick around, right? We're going to be looking, we're going to be seeing what's funny. Um, what's a really good Super, ad, uh, Super Bowl ad commercial do? They, they get your attention, right? There's something about them that just gets your attention. Um, normally, they're pretty ridiculous, but they weren't as ridiculous as these from the past. I dug through some of our cultural ads from a long time ago. And I just want to read this to you right now. Uh, no matter how ridiculous our ads are going to be today, this one starts us off with, um, for a better start in life, and I'll read the fine print for us all because it is worth every word. For a better life, start in life, start cola earlier. How soon is too soon? Not soon enough. Laboratory tests over the last few years have proven that babies who start drinking soda during that early formative period have a much higher chance of gaining acceptance and fitting in during those awkward preteen and teen years. So do yourself a favor, do your child a favor, start them on a strict regimen of sodas and other sugary carbonated beverages right now for a lifetime of guaranteed happiness. Can you believe that? That flew. That flew during the day. And what happens if you followed that strict regimen too much is you need to pay attention to the next ad. This is where the next ad comes in because if you use too much, they, the culture swung in the other direction. Um, the day my kid went punk. <laughs> what do you do when your bright, lovable, talented kid turns into a punker overnight? The Nelsons are about to find out. This is an after-school special for parents in case your kid, maybe you fed them that too much of that sugary soda and so now they've turned into a punk rocker and you need to know what to do. So um, now this, let me preface this one. Don't show this one, Jeff, before I set it up because I don't want anybody to throw anything at me. This was one of the least offensive ones I could show and still get away with this being on a Sunday. But this is another uh, ad from our past, our miraculous past. Go ahead and show this one here. It's for a KitchenAid type device. The chef does everything but cook. That's what wives are for. Right? I'm, I'm not, I didn't do this. I didn't write this. But that was a real thing. And that was one of the least offensive ones that, that, that was out there. You can go look, you can go look for yourself at, at what's out there. But you know what these ads do, what I think ads do and, and why they're worth paying attention to and even looking at it at a deeper level is, is they, they look at the, the, what I'm going to call cultural narratives that exist. That why did those ads work? Why were those ads um, effective perhaps at their time? You know, if you think about the, uh, the soda ad with the baby and you think about the punk rocker, there's, a, there's, a, there's something underneath that, right? There's something that that ad is like tapping into. And it's this cultural narrative. You know, if you want to be a good parent... Like, that's the longing it's trying to tap into, you know? If you're growing up, you want your kid to have the nutrition it needs. You, you want to really provide for your kid. Well, you better get them on soda. This newfangled technology we call high fructose corn syrup, that's the new technology, it's the new thing. Parents, if you're not giving your kids high fructose corn syrup, you're not a real parent. You're not a good parent. Right? Like, isn't that really what's going on on the surface? It's tapping into something. You want to be a good parent. So this is what you got to do. 
or with the whole, the whole punk rocker thing, right? Isn't that tapping into this cultural narrative or this image of what a good kid is and what a bad kid is? And so our society, our culture at that point in time had some pretty clearly defined boxes of what good kids looked like and bad kids looked like. And if you're going to be a good parent, then you need to make sure your kid looks and behaves and acts a certain way or you're what? You're not a good parent, right? And then the whole, the whole kitchen aid, kitchen chef thing, right? What's there, guys? A cultural narrative of what a good man and a good wife, a good husband, a good wife, good woman, what it means to be cultural narratives. I'm going to put this definition up right now because I think they're really important. They influence us even if we don't understand that they're out there. A cultural narrative is a grander story that gives a community structure and the individuals in that community meaning and purpose for their lives. Cultural narratives are these kind of accepted standards, but we may not know that we're in them, just like a goldfish that's in a bowl. Does a goldfish know it's wet? No, it's just swimming. And so our culture and certain cultural narratives, there's these things, there's these values that are held up to, and we start to feel like we need to measure up to them. But often these cultural narratives do not line up with the heart of God and God's desire for us to lead generous lives and to participate in his generous love towards us. We're not always aware of them, but they're influencing us. Would any of those ads that were up there make you feel more secure about yourself? Would any of those ads make you feel like you were more loved, more secure, more appreciated? No, that's not what they did. They tried to focus on an insecurity. They tried to whisper something into an ear to try to lead you away from God's design for our life and generosity. And so what I wanted to do is I'm going to invite my friend and uh, Jesus follower, Rachel Burnett. Come on up. Rachel is a... Welcome her up, everybody. Come on. We got to be warm around here. So Rachel is a, like I said, a friend that we go, we go back, don't we? Yeah. We do. So uh, we go back, uh, but she is a professional businesswoman at a marketing agency here in Liberty called uh, Guild. Or yep. is it The Guild? Guild Collective. Guild yep. Collective. And they uh, have office down there on the square. And so um, you are in cultural narratives all the time, swimming in them with what you do. That's right. but I, so I wanted to have you up here, not just again as somebody who is living and swimming in it all the time, but again, just as this daughter of God right? Who has a whole history and a whole past and a whole story and a whole experience of dealing with your own cultural narratives. And now you're working in it and you have two beautiful kids. These are her kids right here, Eli and Nora right down here. And so um, (laughs) do you mind just, you know, introducing yourself, telling how you got to where you're at now with Guild Collective? Yeah. So I grew up in Mississippi. So my son makes fun of me all the time. How I say five. Um, (laughs) I moved here about 13 years ago. I met Justin's wife. So I, I, our group of friends is kind of how we connected, and um, Aaron and I started a business about a year after moving here, and a couple months after having children, which was really smart and wise, and did that for about eight years. Um, I kind of fell in love with the community building side of a business, fell in love with the creative marketing, like grabbing people that were interested in the same thing. Um, 
together. And we closed that business probably, I think it was seven or eight years into it. Yeah. Um, and then from there started uh, kind of doing my own thing and found my way into the business that I'm in now, um, where, yeah, we spend a lot of time thinking about um, humans and how they behave and, and how, how to connect with them and um, how to create things that do that. And she's been working with us, the Guild. We've been working with them here at Schultz Creek just to continue to um, be in touch with people and put people first. You know, one of the things that uh, Rachel always is coaching us as we communicate and put ourselves out there is to put human, like you just said, human first. You know, think of the humans. You can think about some of these ads that maybe weren't necessarily putting the human experience first. They were putting their product first. And so um, she's definitely been in the process of even shaping um, some of what you guys receive around here as far as emails and social media and things like that. She's been coaching us into how do we really help people feel like they're first in the story, um, not just a brand or a product, but um, I would love to know from your opinion, when you think about, again, you're swimming in cultural narratives all the time, what do you think is the biggest problem when it comes to confronting the cultural narratives that we might come into in our society? I think about the word responsibility when I hear that question. I think um, it's easy, like in my own life, to shift responsibility around. And when I think about a cultural narrative, I think about really at the end of the day, the, the things that I am either gravitating towards, the, the things outside of myself that I find myself moving towards, really it's something inside me that wants that. Whether it's um, fear that I'm not gonna be a good parent, whether it's um, wanting to achieve a certain thing in my career, um, whether it's wanting people to think a certain way about me, that starts within, and I think we, I don't know if it's as a society or as a, as the world, but we tend to be more like exterior focused. We're thinking about the things outside of us, and I think when I think about cultural narratives and confronting them, I think the battle starts inside myself versus the outside needing to change because that's, there's always going to be an enemy. There, we're always fighting a battle, and I don't think that's going to change. I think it's what's inside me that has to change. Right, because we were talking about this before. It's just that it's easy to make the ads or the businesses the bad guy, right? right? But that's not really the battle, right? It's something that's what, internal? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, I was reading this the other day, but one of the, someone that I follow that's like a much wiser, smarter person than me in business says that um, we're all loosely functioning disasters. And when you, when you group... <laughs> A piece of us, we're all just a group of loosely functioning disasters. <laughs> yes. And so, yeah, I think like we just, we're dysfunctional and looking inside ourselves to really be aware enough and do the hard work to, to set the other things aside is, is really what happens, what needs to happen to confront the cultural narrative. Oh, I love that. Loosely Loosely, Func loosely functioning disasters. Loosely functioning disasters. I love that. And that is so true. And if we're not like aware of that, we become vulnerable to certain narratives. And for example, you shared one with me growing up in the Bible Belt, even Christian cultural narratives. Like, like that's like church culture isn't necessarily off the hook. Just because you put Christian in front of something doesn't mean it's necessarily even a voice that's coming from God. You know, cultural narratives influence everything. And so you were sharing with me kind of your experience growing up in the South and the Bible Belt. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. And for sure, I think that even the loosely functioning disaster thing applies to the church as well. Like we're a group of people who are very imperfect. And when we put Christian or church in front of it, doesn't doesn't mean that the actions or things that happen are are okay or they're validated. And, you know, I grew up 
in the Bible Belt and was told around probably my daughter's age that, you know, the way I carried myself and dressed would be, could be the ruin of someone else. And, and, and I, like, looking back, I think about, I know that that was well-intentioned, but I think about, you know, the way I want to raise my kids and the way I want to, to behave is examining my motives and encouraging my children to examine examine their own because you can't be responsible for someone else's behavior, but you can feel like no regret or feel um, integrity around the choices that you make because you're examining your own motives. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's why we're seeing a lot of people today really questioning like the bigger institutional cultural Christianity church. You know, it's like you have just these flawed leaders, right? These people who are, we're all sinners. I'm a big old sinner right here. I'm a dysfunctional mess, right? And so what we do is we, we lift these leaders up on platforms and then they gain these really big voices. And then you start to have these experiences, right? With uh, just people being sinful, being these loosely functional messes. And so we see a lot of people who are questioning like, is this what the church is supposed to be like? Is that really who Jesus would be? And so I think that's why we see a lot of young people even not really interested in coming to church or growing in their faith because of the representation that's there. And these are just, again, sinful people trying to figure out how to do life and trying to figure out how to live in a world full of cultural narratives. I'm curious your opinion. You know, what might be an example of something today? You know, we're going to be watching a bunch of Super Bowl ads. You know, what might be something today that the battle isn't necessarily, you know, the, the company's not the bad guy, the ad's not the bad guy, but it's a cultural narrative that's deeper, you know, that we're going to have to maybe fight and push back against today. I knew you were going to ask this, and I thought about it a lot. And you know, I was thinking about the Bible verse in Hebrews that says, um, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance a race marked out for you. And I, like, I'm flipping the question a little bit, but like I think about, we saw, you know, at the, I'm, I'm going to talk football and I may get it wrong because I'm not, I don't have a football IQ like Jeff. You're absolved. You're fine. <laughs> um, but, you know, at the AFC Championship, like before, like Chris Jones crying and, and watching like these players who for sure they make plenty of money to do this. Um, but I think one of the reasons we love watching a game like that is because we're watching these people who they're incredibly focused on what's right in front of them. And they're, I don't think, I don't think that Patrick Mahomes is worried about like a cultural narrative at that point. I think mm-hmm. he's, he's got these blinders on and this clear mind and focus on exactly what it, his purpose is for that next like four hours. And, and even I, the last game, one of the moments that really got me was that player who made the mistake on the other team that made the mistake at the very end and he's sitting by himself. And and somebody else comes up to him and encourages him when everybody else has has left. And I think one of the reasons that we're so drawn to to this game and and maybe even the Super Bowl as it's and at the end of the day, like we are just this endless pit of wanting and this endless pit of like it's culture in the world's never going to satisfy us. But the humanity that sometimes we get a glimpse of inside that moment. Like, I think we all remember Chris Jones crying. I think we all remember what happened at the end, maybe even sometimes more than the commercials that we saw or more than, like, the things that happened during the game because we just want to connect. Like, we just want so bad to connect. And I think those are the things that if we're not filling that up with God, if we're not filling that up with you know, who he's created us to be and what our own purpose is for the next four hours or four years, like, then, yeah, we are going to be focused on, 
ways that our world just gets so much smaller, which is those cultural narratives. Yeah. So what would your encouragement be to us and yourself, really? Like, you're human. You're going to get sucked into a cultural narrative. You're going to be on Instagram or something, you know, like yeah. going down a rabbit hole and stuff. So, like, what, what do you feel is kind of the answer, or at least maybe not answer, like, with a silver bullet, but just, like, if we're the bottomless pit, you know, what's mm -hmm. important for us to figure out as we confront cultural narratives that we might come across? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely don't know if I have an answer for that, but I, I do feel like we've never, I don't think we've ever lived in a time where we have so much power over the content that gets put in front of our eyes. You know, you think about several years ago, well, maybe showing like more, many, many years ago. Let's not, like, <laughs> let's not, let's not put a year to it. Yeah. In the past. In the past. Um, you know, before Instagram and Facebook, family set around television and, you know, whatever channel you were on, there were millions of people watching that same ad. And now there's so much content and, and what's put in front of you, you have, you chose that. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, like you chose what is getting. And, and so I think when I think about confronting that in my own battles, I think it's this awareness of what's in front of me right now. Like what have, what have I given the power to be in front of me? And, you know, for, for my own story, it's sometimes like, like career stuff or achievement or, um, you know, productivity, things like that. And, and I think that can almost, if we will allow it to be a reflection for, you know, what we're allowing to have power over our lives. Um, and, and, the, and the good part of that is too, like we can actually start changing that. We can actually start making different decisions about what we allow to get in front of our lives. And we can, you know, I, for me, I have my own personal boundaries where I don't, you know, do, I don't check my phone until I, you know, journal and prayer. Like everybody has to have their own, you know, methods to create some boundaries to fight that. But I think maybe for me, it starts with, oh man, all of the, I'm like looking at all of these ads and pieces of content that are telling me what really I, I want. They're filling up a void in me. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Rachel, very yeah, much. Yeah, thank Please you. Thank Rachel for sharing up here today. Yeah. You know, I love, I love what she said there, just kind of at the end, because it makes me think about it. Like, we've never been assaulted. I don't know if assault is the right word or not, but just like that idea of like, there's never been so many voices, right? Like the noise level's really high. It's, it's just really high, the amount of ads, the amount of content, the amount of media, the, you know, like social, like it's just never been so high before. And that it feels really hard. And it is. But the, on the other side of that is, is we've never had more control of the kind of narrative we put in front of us. So we have a choice in it. And the responsibility of what kind of narrative that we're listening to, it's our responsibility. It's on us to make sure we are listening to the right voices in our lives. There's always going to be voices in our culture trying to lead us away from a generous life. And the battle we fight and the battle we have always fought will be to confront the voices that are making us more self-centered, more self-focused, more self-absorbed people. And this is a pattern this is a part of our human story 
that has literally been around since time began. If you go back, and I'm going to paraphrase to the beginning chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I think we want to get to the Chiefs game today, so I won't read through every word between the first three chapters of the Bible. So I'm going to do a lot of paraphrasing here. But if you go back and you try and make the, our, our origin story, you try and make our creation story simple, there's really four things going on in the very beginning. Four things going on. One, you have God. You have the world God creates. So you have creation, and you have all of the resources that exist in the beginning of time. God creates this creation out of his desire to make, his desire to create, his desire for a purely generous life. God doesn't have to make anything. If God is God, and if God exists in perfect community with himself, there's no flaws in God. God doesn't have to make anything, but he chooses to which speaks to his generosity. And so he makes a beautiful world, an amazing world filled with slugs and caterpillars and butterflies and soaring birds and turtles. Who could have imagined a turtle? Man, all these beautiful things. And then he puts humans in charge. He gives this creation to the humans. So in the very beginning, our origin story, the very first cultural narrative that we get to be a part of is a narrative of generosity, of God, a God of love, loving us by giving us everything we need in perfect harmony. He just asks us to do one thing. He says, if we are going to exist and if we are going to commit to each other in this world of perfect generosity and reciprocal love and to show your trust for me, that you trust that I am this generous God and that I will take care of you no matter what and that you have enough, just don't touch the one tree. Because you don't need it. I have given you everything you need. You have enough. So to show that we can trust each other, to show that we can live in a reciprocal, generous world together where you look to me for your needs and not to anything else, just don't touch the one tree. So in the beginning, in our origin story, our original narrative, we have four things. I just mentioned three right there, right? Were you counting? That was only three. God, the world that he gives us, and the humans. Over here, you have a different voice. The fourth thing and the Bible records there being this, this other force of, I'm going to call it anti-creation. If you have creation over here and generosity over here, God, the world he creates, and the people in it, over here you have anti-creation. And the Bible records that in the beginning there was a serpent-esque being that was kind of creature-like, kind of human-like. Snakes don't talk, but this one did. And this character of this force of anti-creation introduces the first other narrative into the, the lives of humanity. And the serpent starts to whisper a different voice, a different narrative. Over here, the humans had a voice. The only voice they had was God's voice. It was a voice of generosity. It was a voice of love. It was a voice of unboundless extravagance. But then the whispering serpent-esque figure says, it puts in their ear, does, does God really love you? Is God really that generous? If God, if, if God really was that generous, wouldn't he give you everything? God didn't give you everything, did he? God, are you sure you have enough? And it was just that seed of doubt. 
everything is okay in our original narrative until an outside voice plants a seed of doubt in the minds of Adam and Eve and says to them, do you really have everything you need? Could God perhaps be holding back from you? And here's what they did and and where it bleeds into us is instead of confronting that voice, that non-God voice, they received that voice. It's like what Rachel was saying. It's like we have, it's our responsibility to confront the the non-God voices in our lives because they're always going to be there. There is always going to be a force of anti-creation, a voice that is whispering into your ear some kind of lie, some kind of whisper that preys on an insecurity that you have. There's always going to be a voice telling you that you're not a good enough parent, that you failed somewhere along the line, and that if you don't get your kid this experience, pay for this thing, get them enrolled in this kind of time, boy, you're not living up to your standard. There's always going to be a voice saying you're not a good enough spouse, you're not a good enough wife, you're not a good enough husband, you're not a good enough friend. There's going to be a voice that's always telling you you're not attractive enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not handsome enough, you're not smart enough. No one would ever really want you. You're not happy enough, your life isn't exciting enough. You don't make enough, your property isn't valuable enough. There's always going to be a force of anti-creation trying to worm its way into our lives and to get us off the narrative of God's generosity. We were created for that narrative that God is generous. He always comes through. He never breaks a promise. We will always have everything we need. And tries to get us into a different narrative where we take our eyes off of God and get focused on our own insecurities. And if we let that voice have authority in our lives, we become so self-focused and so self-absorbed, our life becomes completely about self-preservation. Doing what we need to survive. I think it's just such a nasty trick by Satan, getting us to take our eyes off of others in need, who need our generosity in their lives, by getting us to focus on our own insecurities. It's like exactly what the bad guy would do in a story, right? Like, not just come at people, but subversively take people's eyes off of doing good. We give too much power to the voices in the culture around us. We humans are created in the image of God, and we have so much more power than we give ourselves credit for the power to choose good over evil and choose generosity over selfishness. And if you don't set the narrative for your life, someone else will for you. It has to be an active thing, not a passive thing. This quote has been like fascinating me. I heard this just maybe a couple weeks ago. It says, time will not change you. It only makes you more of what you already are. And that is just sticking with me. Time doesn't change you. It just makes you more of what you already are. We have to choose an active, responsible role in who we want to be, the lives we want to live, and the effect that we want to have on this world and in our relationships. We won't just outgrow 
poor spending habits. We won't just outgrow um, a mean streak. We won't just outgrow our own selfishness. So I'll just give it time. I'm just going to give myself a pass. It's up to us to understand that as image bearers, people created in the image of God, we have an active role in our formation and the reclamation and formation of this world around us. This is where Jesus comes in. Jesus' voice is meant to be the ultimate narrative that our lives run on, and his voice is the voice that gets us back into God's design for a generous life. I love, again, like what Rachel said there, kind of at the end, it's like, we have to choose what we put in front of us. We have to think about what voices do we allow into our lives. And I wondered if we were to do that, if we were to do an experiment, if we were to count up the minutes in a day or the hours in the day, maybe the instances in a day where we were listening and letting ourselves be influenced by somebody's voice other than the voice of Jesus, what would those two columns look like? What would that spreadsheet exhibit? What would we see if we added up all the moments on one hand where we were allowing ourselves to be influenced by something out there in culture, some kind of cultural narrative, versus Jesus' voice? The voice that was there at the very beginning overseeing our creation and dreaming of the day when we would have an eternal, unfailing relationship with him. So I'm going to read to you Jesus' voice. This is Matthew 6, verse 25, because what we have to do is, is we have to replace the narrative. There's always going to be a narrative in your life. There's always going to be something making you feel like you're not enough. And so the only way to get around of not feeling like you're not enough, and the only way to get rid of a bad voice is to replace it with a good voice. That's like a habit. The only way to get rid of a bad habit is to replace it with a good habit. And so if we are struggling with hearing the wrong voices, it's up to us to hear and listen to the right voice and receive that voice into us. And so I just want you to listen I want you to think through this too. I want you to think as I, as I read this, as you listen, what is that insecurity? Where does that voice of doubt whisper into your ear? Where does the serpent-esque figure get to you and make you feel like you're not enough? That drives you to worry? That drives you to doubt? That drives you to question who God really is and what kind of love he has for you? So, so enter into this with me. Hear Jesus speak these words directly to you. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more, far more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully... For the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? 
So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. That voice of Jesus. Man, I know I need it in my life. I get stuck on not being a good enough parent. <laughs> I think about, well, okay, what do I need to buy? Do I need to be? That's kind of my life, like my algorithm, you know? Like, what do I, what do I need to buy to, to make myself a good parent? Do I need to learn more? That's where I'm vulnerable. That's my insecurity. Am I doing a good enough job? <laughs> Am I producing enough here at Chill Creek? What do I need to learn more about? What do I need to do? And you know what it's doing? It's taking me away from the voice of my heavenly Father who says, just look out at this world. Look how beautiful it really is. Stop looking at all the cracks and the flaws. Stop. Get your eyes up. Think about how wonderful this world really stinking is. I think, you know, I'm going to kind of sum it up in four things that I think the voice of Jesus calls us to do. Jesus' voice, at first, it asks us to reflect. To reflect on this fact, isn't life more than food? I think, again, what it's calling us to do is, is we get so stuck on the physical we get so stuck on the exterior that we forget about the interior. And so it just becomes easy to think that I can do something on the outside to fix what's going wrong in my world. I need another physical resource to make my life okay, or my kids' life okay, or my spouse's life okay. But everything starts with our internal world. It tr it's all starts with trusting that there isn't just a physical existence, there's a spiritual existence. It starts by realizing that, of course we're not going to have all that we need. Of course we are all loosely functioning disasters. Was that what it was? We are all loosely functional disasters. Don't be tricked into thinking that you have control over your life and circumstances. Our life is just chaotic whirlwinds. And you can't control the wind, can you? You can't reach out there and grab it and tell it what to do. But you can control how you respond, and that comes from paying attention to what's going on inside of you. So you have to reflect. Am I responding to my situation? Understanding that God is God, I am not. And I can trust in him, and I need to trust in him more than I trust in myself or any other physical resource. Jesus' voice asks us to redirect. I love how he says there, look at the birds. Look up. How many of y'all get stuck in those negative thought patterns? The negative mindset, right? What do you see? You see everything that's going wrong with your day, right? Like, isn't that what sticks out more to you? You see, like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. Oh my gosh, this email came through. I, the other day at work, this, is, this was classic. This is classic Jason Perry, okay? He was on staff here at Shoal Creek. This is classic Jason Perry. So we're getting ready to do a staff morning. The other morning, we're getting ready to do a staff morning. And uh, it's Wednesdays. That's when we do our staff mornings around here. And Jason just sends out a text to me, 
uh, Rachel McDonald, who's on stage here today, and Sean, because we're getting ready to do staff. And all the text says is, please check your emails. So of course I thought somebody instantly died in a plane crash. Like that's like Roy and Candy were out of town and I thought, oh my gosh, he, they are dead. Like that's what this is about. Cause why wouldn't he just tell us something? Why do I have to check my email about it, right? And so I drive in to go to staff meeting here. I drive in to go sit at the offices and I get here and Sean's here and everybody's texting Jason back. Like, hey, Jason, you didn't post it. Cause he was gonna post it. Like he was gonna, he was gonna put in our email. We were gonna check it. Like you didn't send it. Did you send it? Like, where is it? What's going on? And I get here and Sean's in there's like, hey, did you hear? Like, no, I don't know what's going on. Like, is Jason here? It's like, I don't, I don't know. And then Rachel's texting, what, what are we supposed to do? And it go like three hours go by and we hear nothing. Just sitting there spinning, right? Like, that's where it's at. Just spinning. Like, what's going on? And Jay's like, oh, sorry, I wasn't feeling good. I forgot to hit send. Like, that was it. He just forgot to hit send and took a nap because he felt like crap. Like, like, that's the negative thought pattern, right? Like that's where you worry, right? That's what Jesus, Jesus is talking about. Like it's our nature. We think the bad thing's gonna happen. We're looking down at our insecurities. We're looking down at our worries. We're not looking up at who God is. And so much of the pain in our life comes from our own choices. It comes from our own way of looking at the world and choosing to believe bad things are gonna happen more than good things are gonna happen. God didn't design us that way. We are designed, again, to have a narrative, to live on a foundational narrative that God is good and he will take care of us no matter what our physical existence brings us. But we have to do what Jesus says, which is look up, redirect your thoughts. Redirect them to God's goodness, not world broken badness. Another thing that Jesus' voice does for us is his voice is asking us to reconsider, kind of rethink and specifically rethink our value, to reconsider how valuable we actually are to him. He says, aren't you more valuable than, than the sparrows? If God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't he certainly take care of you? I think because of all the cultural narratives, so many, so many voices in society, it's just hard not to try to live up to a standard that God didn't set for us. It's just, it's just impossible to not feel some kind of pressure to be better. And then if we don't feel like we're better, we feel unvaluable. That's not how God designed it. That's not what God wants for you is to always be measuring yourself up against some kind of standard that you're just never going to get to. Or if you do get to, you've probably worked too hard to get to it, to be honest. You've probably sacrificed relationships and things in your lives. There's a chance you might, be, might have cared about it too much to get to that standard. Now there's just a trail of bodies behind you. We have to always be reconsidering the unfailing love of God who was willing to let his son die. That's how much he loved us, was to let our, his son die so that we wouldn't live under the continual pressure of feeling like we have to be better. We don't have to be better because Jesus was already the best. And we receive the value that Jesus had into our own lives 
when we believe in him and accept that he died on the cross for us. And when that happens, Jesus' voice, he does this one last thing. His voice is asking us to be restored to our original design. That's where he says there at the very end, seek God and his kingdom more than any other thing, and he will give us everything we need. See, the, the, the big, I like the word meta-narrative. It's just, I just love this idea of there's a grander story playing out in life. That our lives are a part of a bigger story, like a big old trilogy, like Lord of the Rings or the Harry Potter, right? Like there's a story arc, right? There's a beginning, right? There's a middle full of conflict, and there's an end. And so our lives are all playing out in this bigger story that starts with generosity, that gets disrupted by sin and brokenness and failure. And we're in the middle right now. We're in this conflict part. We're in the middle chapters of this story. But the narrative and what Jesus does is Jesus enters the conflict. He physically entered into this world, lived a perfect life so that you don't have to, and restores us into an unfailing relationship with our Heavenly Father so that we can get back to the original narrative of generosity in our lives. We live in a bigger story where God's the author and Jesus is the hero. But you know what Jesus wants us to do? He wants us to imitate his hero-ness into the lives of others. He wants us to receive his generosity and then live generously into our relationships. And uh, I wanted to share this little story. My dad didn't know I was going to do this. I think he's watching online. Love you, Dad. They couldn't make it in today because they're coming to the Super Bowl party tonight. So we got two trips into Liberty's a little much. So. But my dad wrote me this letter for my birthday. Um, I just turned 39, past December. And he wrote this. Um, to me, and it's just a little story, but it just to me speaks to generosity. He says, Justin, when you were little, even though we didn't have much, those were simpler, happier times for me. I can remember some weeks I didn't have much money in my pocket, and I would make it last all week so I could pick you and your sister some candy up on the way home and put it in my lunchbox, and you guys would be so eager to open it up and see what was inside. I think that I looked forward to it more than you guys. And I just, I'd never heard that story before. And that, like, what a gift of generosity. Like, I, I, I've not heard those stories. You know, I think you probably are the same boat, right? There's so many stories you don't know about what your parents did for you, right? Even if they were bad parents, and I'm sorry if they were bad parents, there's still acts of generosity there. And to think about my dad, you know, like, sacrificing what he wanted just so he could bring me a little piece of candy and just put it in his lunchbox and then have us open it up. And But what's inside, Dad? What's inside? What's inside? And it made him happier than I could ever be getting this piece of candy. And I think that's what God does. It makes him so much happier to see us live a generous life and to not just want everything ourselves. God smiles. God wants us to open up that lunchbox and peer inside and see that his son is in there and see that there's this life of generosity that's entirely possible. 
and that we're a part of making this world a better place. What made my dad and what makes all of us willing to sacrifice? Love. It's love that will make you do really hard things. It's love that led God himself to sacrifice his own son. And so what I would love for you to do and what I'd love for us all to do is is I'm going to pray. We're going to kind of read the scripture again and we're going to have a song. But if you want to take a a small step of generosity today, we've got some candy dishes out here. I'd love for you to have a little, little charms blow pop. We've got one up there in the balcony also too. And you don't have to do this during the song. You don't have to do this during the prayer. This is really up to you. Just come after the service and grab a blow pop, whatever. But I would love for you to think about how can I take a tiny step of generosity this week? It doesn't have to be a money thing. It can be a time thing. It can be a service thing. But I just want you to think about what would it be like to commit to being more generous in your life? To loving others to being there for people, to, to, to take a moment to get, off, get your eyes off of your own insecurities and just be there for someone else. Would you guys pray, for, pray with me, please? Father, I just, um, we just want to be thankful, first of all, that you were willing to be generous towards us. I think we are so bad, <laughs> we are so bad at getting stuck on what's going wrong in the world that we don't take time to look up, to get our eyes off of ourselves and see how, how good you are, how loving you are. And we need help. There are so many narratives, so many serpenty things being whispered into our ears and trying to plant themselves in our mind. And we just want to reject those, Father, just in the name of Jesus. We just want to reject the, the anti-creation forces that are trying to tear us down and and rip us away from your loving embrace father we just ask that you would help us reject those voices we love you father even if we don't know it our hearts are these pits that can truly only be filled with your love so help us look up and when we look up help us see the cross of jesus help us to hear his voice more than we hear any other voice in our lives And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.